Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. Hi, everybody. What's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Nomad Strength Show. Today, we've got Dan, the fitness man, Staten, on the podcast. Dan is the founder and creator of Elk Shape. If you guys follow Elk Shape on Instagram or YouTube or anything that they do otherwise, uh, it's great, great content. And as you can imagine from the name, the whole point is training and getting in ready getting in shape ready for elk hunting. So we talked a lot about that in this episode and you know where Dan came from as far as his fitness background, how he how he, the system of elk shape developed uh and then really got into kind of just his personal drive for elk hunting and why it's such a big part of his life and and how elk shape came to be. It's just a really cool story. And we talked a lot about the elk shape camps that he holds several times a year. And I'm telling you, if you are someone who wants to up your game, or as Dan says, you know, crush the, the learning curve associated with elk hunting, go onto the elk shape site and search out to see where the camps are and see if you can make it to one of them because from all the speakers they have and the content and the material that's delivered it will definitely help you up your game for elk hunting uh this was a really fun conversation he is someone who works extremely hard at what he does and uh i learned a lot from him in just the hour that we were talking and we could have really probably gone for once we got into all the elk hunting nuance we could have gone for probably several more hours but uh there will be some valuable nuggets for you guys in this episode. So I encourage you to, if you're interested in upping your game for elk hunting, bring out the notepad, uh, make notes of some things that Dan says that can help you be successful. And uh, without further ado, here is Dan, the fitness man, Staten. All right. We are here with Dan, also known as Dan, the fitness man, Staten. What's going on, man? How you doing? Glad to be here, bud. Yeah, no problem. I was uh, I was pumped to get to talk to you because there's a lot of a lot of crossover and a lot of the things that we do as far as being outdoors and fitness sort of 
conjoined together. And so um, really I wanted, because the hunting part of, of my life is something that just very recently became a part of my life just within the last uh, few years. So I'm still at this point where I'm like, how can I learn from as many different people as possible? And the training side of things is where, you know, where I come from, but it's different when you get up on a mountain, like you realize there are things that you need to train for and how you need to prepare that are different than just slamming weights, you know? So, uh, that was why I've like followed you for a long time and I'm stoked to talk and kind of pick your brain about a couple of these things. Yeah. Anything having to do with hunting and fitness, sign me up. I, I love talking about it. For sure. So I'm curious to, to, to start and kind of go back a little bit. Like how did the elk shape thing really kind of happen for you and, and take off with, and now it seems like a pretty huge operation at this point. So Elk Shape uh, was kind of like a, a startup in 2013. Um, I, in 2010, I started a company with a partner called Train2Hunt.com. That's my wife. Hi. And uh, have fun. And uh, was she just wearing Sika gear? <laughs> Looked like it. <laughs> Freaking, I work with Numa, so I'm like, what are you wearing? <laughs> anyway, so in 2010, we started Train2Hunt.com. And... Um, it went really well. It took off. There was a need for something that got people in shape and, and internet was still kind of, kind of robust, mm -hmm. you know, like you could do some things. So like we made it video driven mm. and, uh, we provided a daily workout of the day mm -hmm. and we both owned a CrossFit gym together. Okay. So there was definitely a lot of CrossFit sprinkled into the sure. workouts, but it was certainly mountain training 100%. And then it kind of, it kind of got really big and we started doing challenges like, um, on mountains, like a train to hunt course, challenge course. And about that time, I think my business partner at the time, and I realized that we were kind of serving two masters, you know, you're running, we had two gyms mm -hmm. and this online business. And I felt like I was giving everything 33%. And nothing a hundred percent. And uh, I don't think I'm very fun to work with. To be completely honest, I'm pretty driven, and I don't really turn. I just I'm a hard worker, man. Like as far as I can't turn it off. And we just decided to part ways. And so how we broke it up was he was going to keep trained to hunt, and I was going to keep the gyms. So it was kind of like I, I had to buy him out, mm -hmm. and and that's what I did. Yeah. And so he ran with train to hunt. I don't think it's, maybe it's still going. I'm not sure what it's doing, honestly. But as soon as I did that, I bought the domain elkshape.com and I wasn't going to compete with him and just like set up something right overnight to run against him. Cause he had something going well. Sure. I was going to run my gyms, but I wanted to have a foot into the hunting industry. Cause I'd been writing since tw uh, 2006 and had been a videographer and, um, uh, I actually was in, believe it or not, an editor, like a, a contract editor for a couple of hunting shows. So oh, cool. long story longer is started Elk Shape in 2013 as just kind of my blog, mm -hmm. YouTube channel thing that I just put some outdoor content on because I was passionate about it. And in 2015, I started doing a YouTube series of Q&As because I would just get a lot of yeah. emails and not that I'm a subject matter expert on elk hunting, but I would get questions about elk hunting and fitness. And, um, so I just answered them on YouTube and that kind of started like 
the yeah. the thing where I was like, well, I'm going to do a podcast. Those are still pretty new. So I started the podcast, I think, in 2016. And when I did that, things just escalated quickly. And by 2018, I ended up selling my gym and doing Elk Shape full time. That's awesome. So did the going back was hunting something that's always been a part of your life. And so like having to understand how to be fit for hunting, was that like something that you've done for ages? And then now, and then it just kind of became like what you just laid out as that story with elk shape. But was that something that you had always been a part of your life? I actually didn't elk hunt till I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. I did grow up hunting, following my dad around in the woods, getting my hunter safety when I was 10 shoot my first real big buck when I was 13, but, uh, 13 to age 19, it was all about sports and baseball and football and hunting took a back seat to sports. Uh, but when I did graduate, uh, high school, I decided to not pursue baseball anymore. I was going to go to a small CC in Western Washington and play some ball mm -hmm. and get, um, I guess you call it a scholarship, but it sure didn't feel like much of <laughs> right. an opportunity. And I was really burnt out on baseball coaches and I just decided to quit baseball. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I became a personal trainer. That was my first real job. And the next fall I was like taking chemistry and some other basic classes. And I was like, Hey dad, let's go deer hunt this year. Like it's been a minute. Let's go deer hunt. And uh, he's like, well, I got the spot that I used to hunt when you were a kid. Let's go scout it for deer. Uh, so we grabbed rifles and we went walking through these mountains um, in Washington. And on that scouting trip, we bumped into quite a few elk. And we ended up going home and looking up on the regs and seeing that elk was opening public land the, the following weekend. Oh, so cool. we – we just jammed down to like a local store and bought hunting license and mm -hmm. tags for elk. And we bought like a Primos cassette tape and a bugle tube and a cow call. And like, I remember driving up on opening morning in the dark, listening to a cassette tape. And these guys were archery elk hunting and making these vocalizations and the elk were answering and you'd hear the string dump <laughs> and the thwack of the arrow. And I'd be like, I was like, dude, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. My dad and I ended up, hiking to where he saw those elk i sat down on a tree he's like i'm gonna try cow calling he didn't know what the hell he was doing he mm -hmm. cow called for like 20 minutes and this bull walks by at like 20 yards and i just threw my gun up and shot it i don't even think i even looked through the scope <laughs> and shot my first five by five bull at age 20 that's awesome and i think that right then and there was like okay whatever i just heard on that tape mm -hmm. and what i just experienced and all this meat and this huge antlers this is, this is interesting to me. I need to look more. And so I am an all or none personality. Yeah. So I started like getting my hands on every VHS DVD magazine subscription, I went down to a pawn shop and bought a bow and started teaching myself how to do everything wrong right out the gates. <laughs> and, uh, I bought an elk tag the following year in Washington and in Idaho in 2001, two elk tags. And I was a personal trainer, told all my clients, I'm taking September off. I'm going elk hunting all month long. Here's your workouts. I'll get back with you October 1st. And I haven't missed a full elk season of archery since 2001. That's awesome. So it literally went like bow right away. You got straight into the archery thing. What was it about that that 
pulled you to that rather than doing, I mean, do you do any rifle hunting at all still, or do you just do bow at this point? I'm pretty much a bow hunter, man. Uh, as soon as I heard that tape and heard all those vocalizations yeah. and the elk screaming, and I heard these guys shooting their bow with the tape, the audio alone. And then I started watching the the videos mm-hmm. and I was seeing these guys get these bulls in close. I was like, that's what I, I want to experience that. I want to be as close to these animals as possible. I want my eardrums to bleed from them screaming. And I just didn't really, the rifle thing just didn't really interest me sure. anymore. I still have a rifle. It's right over here. And it's mainly a wolf hunting mm. rifle, but, um, no man, I'm, I'm pretty much exclusively a bow hunter. That's awesome. Since then. Did you, so after that first experience, how did the, cause you were still training at that point. How did the, did you make that connection right away? Like I need to change how I train and like, what was sort of the progression with your own training through that beginning stage kind of to where it is now? Yeah. So in 20, I guess 2002, I should say is when my first archery elk season in, um, Idaho, my uncle took me, he's, uh, he's a stud. He's really good at backpacking. Uh, not a very experienced archery elk hunter, but he knew how to get into elk. And so we just, our very first elk hunt together, he parks the truck. We walk to the edge of this ridge and I look down to this drainage and it's as far as you can see. It's just a magnificent drainage, just chock full of uh, timber and and fingers. And he's like, all right, I'm going to bugle. And I'm like, okay. And he throws out a bugle and we immediately get a response and it's completely at the bottom of the mountain, in the bottom of the drainage. And he looked at me, he's like, all right, grab your backpack. We're going after him. And I was kind of like, oh shit. All right. And he, we bushwhacked all the way down to the bottom of that canyon. Probably took us an hour. And then we got in on that bull. He was actually a herd bull. He had cows and, and we had a standoff and he, we had a great interaction. And then eventually he took his cows and left. And I was like, this is amazing. And then he's like, yeah, all right, well now we got to hike back to the truck. And I just remember by the time I got back to the truck, I had lost my brand new pair of binos that mm. they were cheap, but I, I, I lost binos. I lost my range finder. Um, it was just such thick woods. Uh, I had rips in my, my pants. I had terrible equipment and I was packing around way too much mass at age 21. I was obsessed with being as big as possible, which is not even possible for my frame. Mm. And I wanted to be a bodybuilder. And I think that was an eye opening experience to like, I need to have a purpose for every pound of my body if I'm going to be a serious elk hunter. Cause that was day one sure. and I was literally felt like I had a weight vest on of muscle. So how big were you at that time? I mean, are you like, are you height wise, like a shorter, t- shorter guy? Yeah, I'm not big at all. I'm five, seven. Okay. I probably weigh, I weigh 161 yesterday. I don't weigh very often. Sure. Um, right out of high school, I weighed 185 to 188. I was I was big and beefy and bulky and I'd eat a ton of calories and I lived at home and my parents' grocery bill I didn't have to pay for. It was pretty nice, but um, I just wanted to get as big as possible. And I did bodybuilding mm-hmm. sure. mainly, a lot of isolation and stuff. And um, it, it's definitely a lot different than what I do now. And um, me weighing 160 is actually like pretty exciting. I weighed 150 last month. Oh wow! Um, Cause I just, when I get off hunting season, I usually wear weigh between 144 to 150 yeah. every year. I just shrink in the mountains. So when you were going through this whole stage of things, was that around the same time you kind of found CrossFit and was that like the 
because I mean, I mean, everybody has like that first CrossFit experience, especially when you're going yeah. like from a sports performance or like you're trying to do something, you know, quote unquote, the most overused term in fitness now functional. Right. Uh, but everybody has like that first one. They're like, oh, this is totally different. Like I can see how this is going to carry over to regular life stuff. Did you kind of have that same experience when you found the CrossFit style of stuff? Yeah, it took a while though. Um, I would say when I was a trainer, I was studying, you know, kinesiology, Mm -hmm. exercise science, and then I got a master's in exercise phys. I was the personal trainer who had a BOSU ball, a a Swiss ball, Mm -hmm. all sorts of different bands. And I would do, I would consider it really cute training stuff. It definitely made people like look at what I was doing with my clients. And so I always had a lot of clients and we did functional training at the time, a lot of unilateral, a lot of balance, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of national Academy of sports medicine type stuff. Uh, we did foam rolling and, um, pretty cool stuff, but my training kind of got flipped on upside down when I went down and did my internship with athletes performance Mm. in 2005, I was working with the NFL draft class and the MLB guys right before their season. I was just an intern. So I, I didn't do the programming, but I was there to help coach and it was a remarkable experience. And then I started really learning more about their methodology, um, and, and training movements versus body parts. And then I progressed into more of a speed and development, like agility coach. And I worked with Parisi Speed School Systems and really started honing my craft on how to teach athletes acceleration, deceleration, change of direction, elasticity. Mm-hmm. And the long, these are all long stories, man. I'm sorry, I but I guess it. this is podcast <laughs> appropriate. In 2007, I moved to Boise and I opened a speed school. And I was in charge of the speed school and I worked closely with the owner. And this is, this is young Dan. I'm like 25 or 26. And this was the first time I'd ever seen a PNL, a profit and loss mm-hmm. statement. And the owner was like, here you go. Here's how much I've spent on your education, on the franchisee, uh, the license, the equipment. Like he broke it down for me and he's like, this is how much you're bringing in off your athletes here's how much, how many trainers you have. Here's our overhead. And basically my takeaway from that conversation was like, we need another revenue stream. And so the kids that we were training were junior high, high school and collegiate athletes. Well, they're in school during the day. Right. So there's hours there we need to backfill. I could either get my coaches and myself to be personal trainers. And then I suggested, why don't we teach speed, agility, same curriculum, but with adults. Mm. And he was like, let's do it. And I started growing these adult classes. And frankly, we, we were kicking their ass and giving them great workouts and people would notice. I was researching some group workout stuff and I came across CrossFit in 2007. I saw the prescriptions. I thought it was the dumbest shit I've ever <laughs> seen. I'm like, they look like they're flailing on the pull-up bar. Um, they're doing these really complicated Olympic weightlifting movements with volume, like with high reps, like this is, this is a, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. So I was a big critic, but I did find a workout on there. I wanted to have my class try being a good coach. I went and tested it out on myself, Mm -hmm. got my teeth kicked in and was like, Let's just say I was like kind of hooked right after that first workout I did by myself. I was like, 
And then I went online and started like seeing people were posting their scores and there was a bunch of like words like RX and this, that, and I didn't really understand, but I knew that I was like, okay, I am, I can measure my fitness against these people. And one thing after another, about a year into running that speed school, I felt like I turned the whole place into a CrossFit gym and a speed school at the same time. And I had an entrepreneurial spirit and I was like, I'm moving home back to Spokane and I'm going to open my own speed school and CrossFit gym. And that's what I did. So that was 2008 is when we opened our doors. Which is still super, I mean, that's early in, in CrossFit gym years. I mean, there probably aren't many around that were, that were that old. I mean, and the ones that are, are like the, you know, the really good ones still. I don't know how much an affiliate is now, but mine was $500 a year and it was guaranteed. Like you were, it was locked in. I think it's and like, oh, I, I think it's a few thousand. I think it's like at this point, like maybe three or 4,000 a year now. It's, I think it's gone up quite a yep. bit. We were definitely one of the first couple hundred CrossFit gyms. Um, That's all, probably when one we of the opened first, our doors. I was going to say probably one of the first in Spokane area too then, right? Yeah, we were the first in Spokane Valley. There was one in Coeur d'Alene and there was one in uh, Spokane. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was awesome. And, you know, people, it was relatively new and we kind of got in front of that wave yeah. before CrossFit exploded. And we were still running two flags. I still ran a, a company called Fast Track Performance. Gotcha. And that's what I was doing with my athletes, uh, you know, the youth athletes, speed and agility stuff. So. so as it relates to what carries over well on the mountain, like what things are different that need to prepare you for that versus like, I mean, you could probably achieve a pretty good level. I mean, I know you can. People can achieve a good level of fitness if they follow CrossFit programming or like any kind of functional stuff. But like what makes it different to take you to the level where you're going to be successful on the mountain? Like what kind of things are you incorporating to take it to that level? You know, I would say, gosh, that's such a good question. I don't really have a good answer for that, man. Mm -hmm. I'm seriously torn. I will say that like doing something is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. So they're just like trying, like it's a hell of a lot easier to stay in elk shape than it is to try to get into elk shape and have to have this like roller coaster sure. stuff you already know, like just be consistent and break a sweat year round. If you want to get nitty gritty, I'll just tell you, like, I'm not a huge, like specificity guy. Got like you. I'm not into that at all. I'm into general physical preparedness. Yep. I think if you do some really awesome workouts that are high intensity and you mix like change of direction and some strength maybe some Olympic weightlifting and, 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 and sprinkling a little backpack rucking for specificity, you'd be all right. I'm not into a bunch of really cute, fancy. I'm, I'm old school that way. Like yeah. I do think the CrossFit doctrine has a lot of good stuff in it that really does work. I don't backpack train for elk hunting. I wear a backpack when I go elk hunt. I wear a backpack when I scout or, or go bear hunting in the spring. And that's it. Like I don't have weekly rucks. I don't run a lot. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of just CrossFit ish type stuff sure. and they're hard. And I feel like I have the mental dividends to be hard as nails in the mountains and to be limitless in the mountains. But again, that's what works for me. And right. I don't think you can find, you know, say that what works for Dan's going to work for you. Right. And I, well, and I, and the reason I asked was I was curious about your opinion on the, 
backpacking as a training tool because I see a lot of guys in the hunt world that's like, it's either one or the other, it seems. You know, like there's the guys that are like, oh, you know, as long as you're in good shape and you do all these other things, you know, you get up on the mountain, you're going to have a good base there for you. But then there's other guys that are like, if you're not hiking a couple times a week, like you don't have the same, you know, capacity that you would once you actually get up there. So it's all, it's always just seems like one or the other. I see guys all over the place that are like, no, you have to hike all the time to get that, that similar, that specificity that you were talking about, but it seems like not that big of a deal for how you train. Yeah. I had a guy message me recently. Um, and he said, endurance is everything mm-hmm. when it comes to hunting. Um, I don't know, man. If that's the truth, I don't spend a lot of time doing endurance training and I have great endurance, uh, in the mountains. And so I'm still a big believer in like energy system development. And I think if you neglect energy system one and two, and you spend majority of your time with oxygen and oxidative, uh, I feel like you'll be good at that, but you'll have chinks in your armor. So I try to like block all that noise out and just tell people figure out what you suck at the most, what you do not want to see come up in a workout and put that shit at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. Spend the majority of time working on what you suck at. Hey, I'm good at running. I don't need to run. I'm actually pretty decent runner. I've actually competed at running. Like I've done Mm -hmm. many trail races and, um, Spartan races and, and without training. And I do so good in those. I don't need to work on running. I need to work on energy system one and then mainly energy system two. Glycolytic, I suck at power output. Mm. Those shorter, heavier Metcons, yeah. they have my number. Anything with an assault bike, Brutal. I'm dreading. It, it's it's pain cave time for me. That's you know, you give me a really long metabolic workout, I can I can figure out how to pace and hold that pace the whole time. And, uh, I think everyone needs, needs to kind of like go through some different stimuluses totally. and figure out what kicks your teeth in and then like, go, okay, man, my body does not like that. That's what I got to do. And, and again, it all comes back to like having a well-rounded GPP, general physical preparedness mm-hmm. approach to the mountains, find your weaknesses and make them your strengths. And then I, I just can't beat that. I feel like that is what I keep coming back to. Right. These are just fundamental things that I come back to. So do you have, uh, how often do you train? Like what, what, how often are you doing stuff during the week? So good question. Lately it's been kind of a four on one off one on one off. Okay. So Monday through Thursday, been taking Fridays off mm-hmm. Saturdays and then taking Sundays off. But that does seem to fluctuate, but I would say I usually get in five bouts a week. And I program for myself. Uh, I don't um, spend a lot of time on Saturdays doing like a lot of strength. I kind of hit my heaviest lifts, my strength on like the weekdays, mainly Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. By the time Saturday rolls around, I'm pretty beat up. I'm looking for more of that oxidative, longer Metcon grind, mental dividend type workouts. Um, Friday and Sundays, usually Sunday is an actual not working out. I'm not sweating Friday, uh, active rest, whatever that means for people. Active rest is a funny word. It's usually an excuse to do something for people that are just habitual overtrainers like myself. Um, so this last Friday we did like a five mile run in the mountains 
and it was total overtraining. Um, <laughs> I could afford to do nothing or do just mobility work, but uh, you know what I mean? I do. Exactly. And it's funny. Okay. I was actually just talking about this, uh, with one of the guys that was on the show a couple of weeks ago and he's a big, uh, big kettlebell guy. And he was, we were talking a lot about, uh, the concept of overtraining and rest and recovery stuff. And one of the things that came up was, uh, a coach I had had in the past, used to stress how important like very specific words were that we use, right? And like their actual meaning. So like the terms rest and recovery are two totally different words. So like if I were to say to you, like you're taking a rest day today, like subconsciously in your mind, people hear rest, they're thinking like, oh, I just need to lay down and not do anything, right? Like I just need, I just need <laughs> yeah. to like hang out, lay on the couch. I'll just like make sure I don't move at all. I'm resting today, right? But if I say, hey, we're doing a recovery day today, like in your head, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I need to do some mobility work or stretch or like just be up and moving around so that I'm feeling good. Like right for the next day, it's more kind of like, how am I preparing myself for the next session? And so like, I always try to use the term recovery instead of rest, unless there's like an injury, right? Because if all it is, is just trying to wind down from training, really what we're doing is trying to prepare ourselves for the next day, not trying to necessarily recover from the previous day. So it's almost like a preparedness mindset to it. And when that like gets more of the conversation, people are way better about like taking care of themselves on those days rather than crushing themselves again or doing absolutely nothing on the inverse side of it, you know? Well said. Yeah. Rest day does not always mean Netflix day. Right. Uh, and you'll probably feel better if you do get the heart rate up and totally. flush and get some, I know that mobility is so not sexy for yeah. most people, myself included. Yep. Uh, but if you can find an app or something and have like your spouse do it with you mm-hmm. while you're watching a Netflix or something, at least you're being productive. Yeah. Um, and we're all trying to avoid injury. We're all trying to decrease our injury potential. And mobility seems to be a huge help with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, I want to talk about, because you've got these cool uh, like camps or seminars and all these kind of things that you've been doing lately where they're in different places. And where did this idea sort of branch out? Like how did this concept come about? And it seems like it's another thing that you're doing that's growing at a pretty good clip as well. Yeah, the camps are cool because um, they attract like-minded individuals. Um, We started the elk-shaped camp back, man, this is, we're on year four, Mm -hmm. technically year five, because I did a camp like in a December and then we went into the year, but so technically year five, but we've done, I can't, I don't know how many camps we've done. Lots. I did seven in 2021. Okay. And they're all travel. Um, they're hard on the family. I'm gone, but they're so they're the most rewarding thing I do. Elk Shape Camp in, in initially was like I want to get people in person and show them how to train for elk hunting. Mm. And uh, doing so, I like reached out to a couple of my pals and I was like, "Hey, I'm doing the Elk Shape Camp. Um, do you want to come in and maybe talk a little bit about?" backpack systems and gear. So I called uh, a good friend named Ryan Lampers, great hunter. And I called my good friend Dirk Durham. I was like, hey man, like Ryan on the show in a couple weeks. Are you? Okay. Ask him the story, how he met me. Okay. Perfect. I think that's a good one. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And so, and then I had my buddy Dirk show up from uh, Phelps game calls and just go over elk calls. But the majority of the camp was like, kind of like a watered down level one CrossFit seminar. Like I taught, what is fitness? Um, I did teach a little bit of what is CrossFit. Mm-hmm. We went over some nine 
essential movements. We did breakout sessions with DAOs. Uh, it was it was a cool camp. And then we definitely worked on archery equipment. It was an archery elk hunting camp. Yeah. And I remember I had to sign up and I had like a spot for 20 people and I didn't know how it would go. I didn't know what to charge, but I knew that I was spending quite a bit on renting, renting cause I didn't own the gym anymore. So renting the gym and renting yeah. the archery space and paying the subject matter experts for their travel. So I just kind of threw out a number. I don't remember what I charged, but it, the camp sold out in one day. Oh wow! And I was like, Oh shoot. And so we did the camp. It was amazing. I, beat the shit out of all those guys who showed up like we did so much fitness that first camp if you were to compare that camp to my curriculum now it's like flipped over it's probably 10 percent fitness now whereas that camp was literally 90 percent nutrition and fitness um but it's yeah it grew until now to where like i don't even speak that much at my camps Mm -hmm. i have so many people coming in to help so we bring in um a, a guy who literally just does e-scouting for cool. two to three hours a day for th- for like the camps are three days now. And okay. everyone brings their laptops and iPads and he shows them how to e-scout digitally on Google Earth that's and cool. on X and how to create hunt plans and identify where to. I mean, because people that's that's so important. Yeah. And we have a financial guy who comes in and teaches people how to budget for hunting, Uh, believe it or not, hunting's expensive and how to create like a hunt, hunt budget and, and how to have discipline on, you know, when to buy gear and over time and how much does it, you know, I bring in hunting full and they like show people how to actually get elk tags and how to have an elk hunting portfolio and plan for hunts that are, that they can draw year after year and plan for hunts that it takes five or six years to get that tag mm-hmm. and swing for the fences for hunts that take 20 years. And so a lot of, and each state's got our own nuance. Yeah. Um, we bring in Dirk Durham still to teach how to make the elk sounds, what the elk call. And I bring in Joel Turner to teach people how to shoot properly, like actual technique, yeah. actual mechanics. And uh, I come in there and kind of rah, rah them on discipline and the lifestyle. Um, the camps are life-changing now, man. So our first camps actually of this year is this weekend. Oh, so cool. I'm flying out, going to Wisconsin. We have that camp completely sold out. It's 50 athletes now. Wow. And awesome. it's it's on steroids. It's awesome. We're only doing four this year because I want to stay married and I have little kids. <laughs> and um, I'm actually bringing my wife to this camp coming up. I was just going to ask, like, she's do a, you just bring, will you just bring the family with you on any of these? No. Not the kids. Not the the kids. kids are nuts. They're five and seven and they fight like cats and dogs. But um, my wife's going to come. She's got a background in exercise science as well and right was a collegiate athlete. And um, it's just going to be nice to have her there at the camp. We call her Mrs. Elkshape and it'll be good, man. So um, awesome. the camps are really exciting, to be honest with you. Like it's, it maybe doesn't make the most financial sense. It's not like a huge moneymaker, but it, sure. it kind of catapults the year. It's very content rich and it's some of the best work I do on this earth. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it really sounds like, I mean, from the, from the types of subjects that are being covered, it really sounds like it's a great, uh, a great thing for brand new hunters. And like, I'm sure there's probably something for everybody that they can still learn no matter how long you've been hunting or in fitness or whatever. But it, I mean, just those things that you were talking about, like that seems like really important information for people that have never been exposed to the hunting world or like just getting into it. Is that kind of like who you necessarily like want to be attending this the most? Or is it just like that just kind of how it ended up coming about? 
After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Yeah, no, so the, the camp is for people that want to crush the elk hunting learning curve. It could take some people their first year and they get lucky and shoot an elk yeah. their first go out at the truck park, have an elk come out. But if you want to kill an elk year after year after year after year, you're going to have to adopt the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so for me, this camp is to shorten the elk hunting learning curve, certainly, but also to help those that have had some success but haven't had consistent success. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot – of blueprint out there to follow to in order to have that kind of year in year out success to have elk meat on the menu every year mm-hmm. that's that's really hard to do especially on public land so the the covids the the uh, the adult onset hunters you bet man they they they're more than welcome mm-hmm. they're going to thrive there and then the the OGs who've been out and maybe just you know doing the same plays and it's not working out come in sure. for a, a breath of fresh air and we even have veteran hunters that are, are pretty good elk hunters, man, but they still have some issues with their fitness or they have some serious target panic with their archery game mm-hmm. or they quite haven't figured out Google Earth. They're going to get a lot out of it as well. So it's kind of a, you know, very inclusive camp. That's awesome. And so is it as far as your projections of it? I mean, you said you're only doing four this year, but they're probably bigger than the ones. Is like that kind of the the model you want to keep going, like let's do fewer and more, or, I mean, how are you anticipating this thing to keep going how it is? I mean, I'll do it as long as there's a demand for it. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, if I ever struggle to sell them, I'm, I'll quit it immediately and flex. But I think, yeah, I think next year, like 23 would probably be a similar, like a handful of camps. We try to do them in the beginning of the year. Yeah. Because we want to give them the blueprint and then have them working towards September. Give them time. Yeah. Give them the time to work on the things yeah. that we sniff out. But um, the the other idea I have, and I don't, I haven't put much thought into it, but is to get smaller camps. But I'm going to make people travel to me. Mm. I built a gym in my backyard. Yeah, I've seen it. And it looks. You have it. Okay. Yeah. So I could take on small cohorts of like you know I don't know five to eight athletes come in. Sure. They got to get a hotel. But they're going to take them through, you know, 
we could do more at my house because I could actually we could get in the kitchen and talk about and show how to do meal prep, yeah. count macros, how to you know cook good food. We could get out in the gym there and I could teach some methodologies and some movements. Uh, we could shoot in my backyard a little, and then I have a great archery shop and a great my archery coaches down the road, so we could go down there. It's an awesome range, and we could do some of the stuff. So I would probably do main elk shape camps, but mm. I'm thinking about offering a few like private ones as well, just because you could do, you could cover more ground with sure. a smaller intimate setting. Yeah. And give it a little bit more attention to, I mean, especially with, yeah, with smaller people, you've got a little bit more devotion to each person and that could be a, a different thing altogether. Do you have anybody that like works for, I mean, like, is there any other people involved in elk shape that like help you teach or do anything like that? Or are you still like the, the dude that does everything involved with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I hired a guy two years ago to help me with, uh, YouTube. Okay. So I hired a producer. Yep. His name's Tim, Tim Connor. He's the man. And I was just like, Hey, I, I, my YouTube channel sucks. Uh, actually he said that to me, your YouTube <laughs> channel sucks. <laughs> and he's like, it's not that the content sucks. It's just how you're doing it. Mm. Um, let me help you. And we went from like 10,000 subs to 50,000 subs in two years. And what it is, is this consistency. Um, I learned how we kind of, you can study analytics on YouTube and figure out what people want. Yeah. And, and, and it's really YouTube's a how to people go to YouTube for how to's. Yep. So you got to catch them in the first 10 seconds or they're moving on and you got it. So he helped me out a lot with the YouTube. I still run my, um, Instagram and Facebook, mm and put that content out. And, uh, and then I, I do work with a lot of companies that are, are awesome. But as far as hiring help, I hire, I sub out all the subject matter experts. Yeah. I, I contract work with them to come to the camps. Uh, I am looking to hire someone who can probably, they probably got an intern at first. Cause I'm, totally. I'm hard to work for. <laughs> I run at a pretty fast cliff. But I'm looking for someone who can who gets it, like yeah. can edit podcasts, can edit videos as fast as me, and can run a DSLR for for video. Yeah, who knows how to like run a canyon manually for photography? Yeah, um, that's a pretty valuable person. And I was telling producer Tim, I'm like, hey man, like I'm about ready to to make a video that we're looking for an intern, and it could be even a paid internship. I'm just sure. looking to hire someone, and I want to give them a test. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, no, we're definitely looking to probably hire a little bit more here in 2022. I'm almost thinking I was because when I initially asked that question, I was thinking as far as the 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 camps went, like it could almost be I was wondering if you were going to run it like, you know, the affiliate, like kind of the CrossFit model where you'd have if you were thinking like if you wanted to do more camps, have one or two people that you had trained under that thing. And then you'd brought up like for it was all design stuff. I'm like, well, that makes sense if it's for all the videos and that kind of stuff. But I was thinking it was going to be for like teaching those camps and that way you could run more of them or whatever. Cause coming from the CrossFit world, that's just like the model that they did. It's just like everybody became right. affiliated and now everybody's teaching seminars all over the world and like that kind of thing. And, uh, that was where I was going with it, but that makes more well, sense. To answer that. <laughs> no, I have thought about that. And, and I have three guys that have been to my camps as campers mm -hmm. and they obviously they've stood out out of the hundreds of athletes that have been to my camps and all three are, have been to at least a camp and 
all three are coming to camps again this year, not as a camper, but as like a, to help out. a helper. Nice. And I think they know, but that is my plan is eventually to try to get and duplicate a couple of me's sure. guys that can run my camp that understand the philosophies and the mindset. Um, yeah, we're, we're working towards that, but that's, that takes like, you got to yeah. find these diamonds in the rough and, yeah. and then mentor them. But yeah, I have three guys right now That's awesome. and, um, I don't want to say their names, but they're, they're <laughs> coming to the camps and they're helping out. And that is the plan down the road is cool. to hopefully not have like a level one going everywhere, sure. every weekend. Give you some Hell more opportunities no. though. But yeah, to help spread this doctrine of elk shape and the lifestyle for sure. Yeah. So as far as your, uh, personal hunting, plan for for this year you usually i mean from what i remember from this just most recent season from following you you are like you go multiple states like all over the place as, as often as you can like what does your general hunting season look like i mean are you just everywhere for three four months basically yeah it doesn't work that way with being married and, and kids and, and them being a higher priority than hunting sure but yeah so i try to spring bear hunt for a couple weeks every year mm-hmm. i'm huge into spring bear hunting and and um this year I'll be hunting Alaska and for spring bear. And then I'll be hunting Idaho for spring bear. And then the summer is really for the family and, and filling up their banks of time and love. And so it's not about me. I don't get to do a lot of scouting and stuff like that. I put that when I got married, I just kind of gave up some things, but when I had kids, I gave up a lot of things. I don't shed hunt anymore. Um, I don't do a lot of trail cameras for scouting or going out on scouting trips. But what I do do is spend as much time with them as possible. And then once about mid August rolls around, man, I'm hunting. So I try to have an antelope tag in my pocket every year. Antelope is my favorite meat. It's just straight up grocery shopping. Um, I'm not looking at trophy or anything. I'm looking at getting antelope meat on the menu. Mm -hmm. Um, and those things, those buggers aren't very big. Mm -hmm. You don't get a lot of meat off an antelope. So if I could stack like 30 antelope in the freezer i would but it's it's just not that renewable of a resource right. so try to get one antelope and then as soon as um for elk for elk tags i've always before social media um before anything i've always had like my first year elk hunting I, uh with a bow i had a tag in washington and a tag in idaho mm-hmm. so i've always had at least two tags and i've been in the sit in the game trying to get elk tags in other states sure. since 2001 so I have a lot of points in a lot of states. So it's tough to make plans on where I'm going, depending on the draws and stuff. Yeah. Um, so for 2022, there's a chance that I'll draw Wyoming general elk tag. There is a chance I'll draw a Montana general elk tag. And I have an Idaho elk tag, and I will have a Washington elk tag. That's plenty of elk hunting. Last year, I had an Idaho elk tag, a Washington elk tag, and an Arizona elk tag. The Arizona was pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, the New Mexico tag I actually bought. It was a landowner tag. You just buy. It was a terrible hunt. And <laughs> the Idaho tag was something I bought over the counter and got, you know, got. And then I have a Washington elk tag because I'm a resident of Washington. I always will have an elk tag in Washington. Yep. And if you look back historically, I hardly ever hunt my own state. It's just a, a lot of hunting pressure and not a lot of elk. So, I'm always looking to have at least a couple elk tags in my pocket. I've created my life uh, in a way to where elk hunting is a really high priority. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people, are, I've ma- I've heard negativity. Honestly, I've heard people say like I kill just for content or um, 
Who needs three elk? Well, listen up. I can't swear on your podcast probably, but you can say whatever you want, man. <laughs> UMFers, listen up. I can eat three elk in a year. I've done it many, many times. And it's none of your GD business of what, how many elk tags I get. I'm not right. doing it for Instagram. I'm an elk hunter. You cut away elk shape, it goes away or social media. Mm-hmm. I'm out there trying to elk hunt as much as possible. I am an elk hunting addict. Mm-hmm. I am a fiend. I can't, I am looking for my next fix and I will elk hunt. And if I can't get tags, I'm going to be out there filming somebody or helping them call or help them pack out. I want to hear as many bugles as possible. I want to have as much time in the mountains as possible. I feel so alive out there. So for me, there's always going to be like negativity out there, especially the bigger you get. Um, the more it comes, or at least the more you see it. And I've heard Joe Rogan say it beautifully. Like it's just a percentage of people that aren't going to like you. And so if you get bigger and bigger, that percentage isn't changing, but you'll just, that's just more people in that percentage. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have noticed that. And I, I, I never thought I had people that didn't like me. Like I always thought like I was that relatable, authentic, honest and hardworking and kind of did blue collar hunting. Meaning I just hunt public land, average elk hunts. Yeah. And I just give it above average effort, but you, you know, there's people that just aren't going to like you and you can't dwell on that. But man, yeah. my plans is to elk hunt as much as possible, whatever that means. Do you do uh, deer at all? Or is, are you just like elk until you're full and then it's by then it's the end of the season basically? Yeah, no, I do give, I give deer an honest go in November. I hunt yeah. whitetail and mule deer. Okay. Um, but it's all about like there's deer. I, I gave up. Alpine mule deer hunting in August. I don't, I just, I'd rather eat an antelope. Yeah. Mule deer on, in velvet are really huge and it's in the mountains and it's awesome, but it takes a lot of time. Sure. Whereas an antelope hunt, I could probably get it done in three or four days and I can get the meat I really want yeah. and I'm not burning family time. Um, elk hunting on public land just requires a ton of time. Yeah. You just have to be out there. So I'm going to be every day of September, I'm going to be out elk hunting. And then October, I don't really hunt that much. I'll do a little here or there, but November it ramps back up. And then by then I'm pretty much out of hunting time with my family. Like sure. at, at that point, the scales have tipped to where if you truly have your priorities in check, you probably need to like stay home. And I, yeah. I usually do that. Totally. So, I mean, you're like a whole month of September. Is that between all of the various states? Like you're just bouncing around for that whole month and as much as you can get done in that amount of time as possible. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. So like three years ago, I was in Idaho from opening day to the 14th or no. Yeah. To the 15th. And then the next day I was in Wyoming till the 28th. And then I came home for a small break and then I went to Montana. Um, and then came home after I got my, my elk last year, it was Idaho until the 15th, New Mexico till the 25th. Um, and then I went down to Arizona Mm -hmm. When that tag opened up, I also snuck a Washington hunt in there. I mean, yeah, for elk. I mean, so yeah, it's go, go, go. So what would be the, because I would imagine a lot of people that hear that were like, well, yeah, of course he spends 30 straight days up in the mountains. He'll have some success. But like for the people that, you know, there's, I, I would say the the majority obviously can't do that devotion of time to it. It's usually like weekends and stuff. So like what would be the priorities for those people to hit, like if you want to be super successful, but all you've got is weekends, like how do you approach doing that and still having the best chance at being successful? Okay. So under the premise that they're hunting public land, not private sure. and competing with other hunters and elk that are pressured and there's other predators out 
on the, on the, you know, terrain and landscape, you're, you're, you're going to need to do some things. Like if you are a blue collar welder and you have two weeks of vacation a year, is it really fair to your family that all two weeks go towards your hunt? You're not going to be married if you do that. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with maybe saying, okay, I want to take half. So five days paid vacation. And I want to sprinkle those out. Talk to your employer way in advance and be like, I want to take every Monday off in September. So at least now you're having three day weekends. Um, plus you have a labor day in there. Uh, then you have to hunt like a weekend hunter. I hate hunting weekends when weekends, when I'm hunting for 30 days and and I look and see that it's Friday, I'm like, ah, dang it. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is now we flex. We actually go to the we go to the worst spots or the places where the elk are going to get pushed to for the weekend. The best hunting days are probably during the week. So if you could, I would talk to your boss and be like, yo, I want to work every Friday, Saturday, Sunday in September. And I want to like see if I can move my days off to like Tuesday, Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. You would have you would have better hunts. Now if everyone takes my advice. That'll change. (laughs) You know what I mean? But, um, those days I just screwed it all up for everybody, but you know, (laughs) it's really about communicating way in advance to your employer, um, and your spouse and figuring out when's the best time to go. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to hunt the elk early, but it's definitely better as the month goes on. Um, that middle of September, things start heating up some places they're going good. But generally that third week, peak rut, most guys know, like that's when most people hit the woods. Um, And then the very end of September, a lot of people are out of vacation or already got their elk or they're out of energy or motivation. That could be another good time to really like why they're kind of struggling and to to get going day in and day out grind. That's when you come in fresh as a daisy and hit it hard. Um, Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Because I I just know that even for – for myself, where I work for myself, I do every, I mean, I can basically say when I want to take days off, but even then it's like, I've got, you know, wife and, and, and a kid. And so it's like that same thing. You can't just bail and take off whenever you want. So you got to like structurally organize as best as you can to, to try and get the most out of whatever time that it is. And so, uh, I just know that that's, that's a huge struggle. It's like, well, yeah, if I could devote two and a half straight weeks or 30 days, you know, straight to it, I would probably be in a better position, but if not, then I got to make sure I maximize whatever time I do have, you know? So maximizing your time is not hanging out at base camp. Yeah. Um, not going back for a lunch break or a nap siesta, um, staying out late bugling and, and catching and locating elk and sleeping when you get home after the hunt. I mean, there's ways to maximize everything I just said is what I do the entire month. Like when I come back from elk season, like I said, I weigh 144. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't weigh 144. I'm sleep deprived. I have not ate enough. It's impossible to eat enough, but damn it. September's so finite that I have to give it everything I got because I want to be into elk every day. That's what I signed up for. The last thing I want to do is be elk hiking and searching for elk and run. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? So you just have to have the mindset of like, this is your, this is your CrossFit games yeah. or this is your, you know, your Super Bowl. This is what you train for year round. This is what you're going to do and give it, give her, give her everything you got. And then just 
walk until you find them. I mean, that's like, I've heard that from, and like I said, this is fairly recent addition into my life into the hunting world, but that's like the thing I've heard from the very beginning. It's like, if you want to find animals, you just got to keep walking until you find them. Like you're not gonna, you know, unless it's just by some luck thing, just hop right off the road and then have hundred yards away. There's, there's stuff you can do and rely on that as being consistent. Like you just got to get back. And that's where the elk shape whole thing really kind of makes the biggest difference. Like the reason people can't get back far enough is because they're not in good enough shape to get back far enough. Yeah. There's a lot of guys getting in good elk shape. They're, they're yeah. back there. Yeah. So doing your e-scouting ahead of time and having all your different plans mm-hmm. and then understanding the pressure, uh, and then understanding elk behavior, they're extremely nomadic by nature. They're not very like do the same thing day in and day out. Mm-hmm. They could change drainages overnight they could have the most dope setup, but they get a little whiff of you and they're going to their next play. And, and so, yeah, being able to identify what an elk's going to do before they do it is honestly the name of the game. That's how you'll kill more elk consistently is being in a position to do, to get yourself out in front of them, knowing what they want. And then if you're not finding them, you're moving and moving and going through your hunt plan yeah. until you find them. Um, if you want to walk aimlessly in the mountains, that doesn't sound like very much fun to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely kind of guy that like I hike with a purpose, especially knowing what elk, what areas are going to hold elk and why, and then getting into those areas. A lot of times instead of hiking, that might mean going back to the truck, driving 20 miles, a different road and coming in a different way because I think the elk are in here, um, or a dirt bike or an e-bike or even backpacking at night and hiking ridges because most elk are up on their feet at night uh, feeding. And so that the chance of them responding while they're eating versus when they're laying down, resting, or even sleeping, but the odds go up. So you just need to, yeah, I mean, we could talk elk hunting for hours. There's a ton of nuance to it too. I mean, obviously because it's and and all those things that you, that you're talking about, it's tough to say those things as advice without having people like, spend time and understand from experience what it is that you're talking about too. Like you, whatever time you've got, you've just got to be up there doing these things. So then you can begin to get an understanding of how they move, where they are and understand like the plan, because the, like you said, that plan, like you don't like to be someone who just wanders and, and that's even more important for people who don't have 30 days every year, you know, like it's, it's even more important to be super dialed in with where you're going. If you want to actually have a chance of getting into something. Yeah. Yeah. Maximize your time and you have 11 months to prepare for the exam. Mm -hmm. So there's no one to blame, but you, you can't blame other hunters. There's going to be other hunters. They're going to screw stuff up for you. You better have a backup plan for when your trailhead's got 24 trucks at it. Um, if you're somebody who complains or uses the excuse that there's too many hunters or too many, this too many, that you're not putting the work in in the off season, because I can promise you, I run into so many hunters and they, and they literally screw up my plans and I don't get mad because they're out there trying to do the same thing. I am. You have no one else to blame but yourself, which is why I love elk hunting. It's the purest test. And if you don't a plan for shit to go South, you haven't been elk hunting long enough. It's, I mean, literally something's going to break. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's your bow. Maybe it's your front end. Maybe it's a, a flat tire. Um, maybe it's a tent pole. Um, maybe it's an injury. Um, I can promise you 
something's going to break, something's going to go wrong. It's going to seem impossible. It's called a roller coaster ride. You welcome to elk hunting. It's a roller coaster ride. And there's way more downs than ups. And so it's really a test of can you grind? Can you overcome adversity? And to me, that, that teaches you so much about life. And you're doing this whole thing in the mountains without a Wi-Fi connection, without a cell phone connection, no email pings. You are like distraction-free doing what you were, God intends you to do. This is the best stuff out there. This is why I'm so uh, thankful to be an elk hunter, man. That's awesome. And that is actually, I think that's a pretty good place to, to start to wrap up. I know we got a piece out of here for you. So thank you, man. Like I had a great time. I learned a lot already in this and uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you. Where can uh, elk shape, like give all the elk shape links and and things where people can go and find where the next events are, if there's still some for sale and, and everything you need to do. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. First and foremost, I love talking about fitness and stuff. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, the, the best place to find me is probably elkshape.com. There's links to our Instagram, our YouTube, our camps, um, our podcast, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm just appreciate, appreciate you having me on, man. I love talking about all this kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I was, I was pumped too, because, uh, actually today, uh, we're, we're now officially a part of the waypoint, uh, network of podcasts and stuff, which I know that you are as well. So it was kind of cool to be able to already connect with other dudes on the platform already. I'm pumped. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, I've, I've just switched in November. Yeah. Um, and what sold me was like they're basically using Spotify technology. Yeah. Uh, the only problem is I I was hosted by Podbean same for years, <laughs> and um, my blogs I always blog my podcast episodes. Mm. Every blog, and this is what I was doing before we got on. I was like having to update the code in every blog because it was showing you couldn't play the podcast ah. and I'm still doing that. So when we get off, I get to pick up on episode, whatever, but just play uh, catch up. don't on forget to do that. That's, <laughs> That's the only thing idea. that sucks. <laughs> great idea is uh, make sure your links are all dialed and dope. But yeah, no, the guys at way, uh, waypoint are awesome. Yeah. Um, they do have ads on our podcast. It's not that many, and that's usually at the very beginning. And yep. at least it's not like a Viagra commercial. I think it's usually <laughs> right. something. It could be way worse things. <laughs> it could be bad, yeah. But it, man, I love podcasts. It's a great medium, yeah, and you can digest it or consume it at your own pace. And you can do other things while you're listening. And you almost always pick up a nugget or two. Yeah. And we're just trying to make people better and have authentic conversations. So welcome to the, the Waypoint, man. It's awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Well, again, buddy, thank you. I, I appreciate it talking to you. It was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. All right. Let me know when. Mm-hmm.